Let's stand uh, for the reading of the Word of God. We're in our series on 1 Thessalonians, Authentic Christianity. So why don't you turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going through this line by line, precept upon precept. If there's anyone near you that doesn't have a Bible, please share with them out of love. We're reading from the uh, ESV or the English Standard Version of the Bible. Um, you, You know we're trying to start the good tradition, if you will, of the public reading of Scripture. So why don't, you, why don't you guys join in with me? We're going from verses 1 through verse 12. First Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, uh, 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's get it. Oh, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, keep reading, To be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests hearts. Also, our ourselves, because you have become very dear to us. Keep reading. Amen. I'd like to talk about for a little while today, authentic Christian discipleship. Authentic Christian discipleship. Father, we thank you for um, truth. And we thank you that our lives can be transformed by that truth. And Lord God, as the church, uh, we, we live in such a counterfeit culture, Lord God, in which the last thing we need is a church that's inauthentic, and so, God, we, we, we pray today that this wouldn't just be a message that somebody can say, I got a word. But, Lord God, help it to be a, 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 a rich faculty for the soul to be transformed and for there to be a beautiful environment, a, a disciple-making environment to be de- developed in this ministry and to permeate beyond it, Lord God. And so, and so, God, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength. Somebody say, our strength. Somebody say, our Redeemer, in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Man, one of the things about um, uh, 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 having a, a job or any type of place where you have to deal with people and work with people 
is no matter how much money you make and, and, and no matter how much you enjoy that job, I, I got to tell you that environment uh, can make or break that job. If, if you have the worst type of people as employees or people on the staff that you work with, you may be making a lot of money, but if, you, if, but, but if the environment is raggedy and lacks integrity and it's a frustration, it, it'll, it'll make that money not seem like a lot of money because of the environment. Uh, in, in anything in life, environment is everything, whether it's your house, whether, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your parenting. Everything in your life has to, have, has to have some level of a healthy culture within it for there to be proper nourishment and proper focus and proper execution of what, of, of, of what you want to happen and ultimately of what God wants to happen. And so Paul in Thessalonica is writing back to the Thessalonians, um, reminding them of, of, of things that he always has to do very, very often. But it's very, very, it's to, to, in, in relation to this passage, it's, it's, it's pretty sensitive because you have this new group of Christians who are brand spanking new, babes in Christ, uh, based on Acts chapter 17. My man's Paul uh, had to dip because of a lot of persecution that he was going through. Uh, Jason gets dragged out of his house, gets beat in front of everybody in the town. Paul and Barnabas, I mean, Paul and Silas, rather, and, and Timothy had to roll out, and they went down to Berea and, 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 and because of the persecution there. And so Paul writes back to them. He had sent Timothy back, which we'll see next time we get together, to check on the spiritual development of those people. And what, what he's going to do in this passage, just to kind of give you a breath of background, is, is what he's doing is he's writing back to them to remind them what a disciple-making environment looked like while he's there and, a, and how this environment should continue after he's gone because there's some people that have come into uh, the Thessalonican church from the outside and from the inside that are trying to come against the gospel that Paul ministered to them. And so they're trying to not only discredit the gospel, but discredit the authority of Paul, thereby automatically discrediting the credibility of the gospel. And so because these are very, very young Christians, not just in age, but, uh, uh, but, but, but spiritually, it's very, very important that Paul must reassert what a healthy culture within a church community looks like. And, 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 so, and so we come here and we find ourselves in this text as he's walking through what this looks like, which brings me to my first point. If you're going to have an authentic gospel discipleship, the first thing you're going to have to recognize is there has to be a, a character credibility. A character credibility. In verse 1, he goes in. And he says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, it's interesting here that he would begin talking to them about the gospel not being in vain. Because when he first went to them, he would have communicated the gospel to them like he did on the three Sabbaths. He only had three weeks versus three, two to three years like he would normally have. And so it was very, very important that he maximize that time. And so he's affirming them. I like this. He's affirming their reception and responsiveness to the gospel and their continuance in that gospel. Let me, let me say that again. In, in other words, Paul is saying, you received the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but God has graced you to continue that. In Colossians chapter 1, he, he says it beautifully when he talks about the Colossians. He says, word has gone out to all the churches. However, since we first came to you with the gospel, you are continuing to bear fruit since the beginning. In other words, there was this sense in which the people of God were growing 
ever since the beginning. That means that there should not be a point in time in your life where there is a lapse of spiritual development. That means every day of your life must be a yearning and development in the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And what shows that that's not in vain is not only your excited reception of it, but then also the continued development of you being on a phenomenal trajectory of growth in every single area of your life. And that's what shows the fact that the gospel wasn't preached to them in vain. But then he goes from there and begins to talk about his ministry in particular. Now, it's going to be a dichotomy here. Trek with me because I'm teaching today. Um, there's going to be a dichotomy here. There's going to be this dichotomy in which you'll see he's talking about his spiritual authority. But on the other hand, he's exemplifying what normal leadership in the church should look like. Not only normal leadership in the church, but the functional activity of Christians who say they're going to be disciple makers and expecting that that would napalm into the lives of every believer within the community of faith so that there is authentic Christian discipleship or authentic gospel discipleship going on in the church. So, so I, I like this next part because many people, we don't like this type of gospel, right? He goes in and he says, he says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Then he says, but, he said, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in, at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I like that. Because what he's saying is, he said, I preached the gospel in the midst of a lot of difficulty. He, 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 say, he, says, he says, in other words, he says, in other words, as a part of being a disciple maker, there's going to be trouble. Yeah. Let me say that again because you, you didn't hear me. I, I'm going to make sure you got that one. In other words, this is, there was a gospel out there that teaches that when you become a Christian, everything's going to be all right. Um, that means that God's going to open the windows of heaven and give you everything you ever dreamed of in your life. But it seems as if Paul had a different philosophy in mind because when I look in Scripture, there are blessings that come with being a Christian, but there's also some challenges that come with it also. Oh, y'all looking at me funny. Those who walk godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In other words, he, he, he's, saying, he's saying, I was shamefully treated. Now, now that word means scandalous in the Greek. It means that I was, treated, I was treated as if I was pushing on a scandal in the church of God. But he said, but I like the fact that he said, I kept on preaching. Yeah. Now, you got to understand his philosophy that gave him the ability to keep on preaching. I'm going to preach on this part. I was teaching at first, but I'm going to preach on this part. In Acts chapter 9, it was crazy because when Paul got saved, it was funny. Jesus tells Annas, who's going who's to give him sight, he says, I must show him how many things I must suffer for my name? Well, he must suffer my name's sake. In other words, he's going to have a life that's going to be riddled with difficult stuff. In other words, it's going to be known as he goes and does my ministry, as I bless him, one of the things that's going to be a mark that he's walking with me, that's a mark that I've called him, is the fact that hell is going to break loose on a consistent basis in every single season of his life. But matter of fact, Paul, when he left, see, you got to understand, Paul was in jail in Philippi. He comes to, he comes to Thessalonica in Macedonia. Um, he gets persecuted. Then he runs out of Macedonia, and then he runs out of, right of there and goes down to Berea. Then the people there send a battalion of people to go make sure that he gets more suffering down in Berea. But you got to understand back to Acts 9. You go over to Acts 13, he gets his calling, he gets his affirmation of calling the ministry under leadership. Later on in the book, all of the prophets in the New Testament, Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem. 
And they said, well, there is much suffering that waits for the man who wears this belt. So one of the prophets put the belt around him and prophesied to him and said, see, we don't have prophets like that today. Everybody prophesies you're going to get this, you're going to get that. But he prophesied hell's going to break loose as you go to Jerusalem. Now, people were urging Paul not to go. Now, this is interesting because the believers who had been taught that suffering was a normal part of your life were urging him not to go because they didn't want anything bad to happen to him. But it's interesting. Paul didn't see those prophetic utterances as a deterrent from his calling, but he saw it as a confirmation of his calling. See, every now and then, the difficulty you're going through, you need to recognize that it's a confirmation of the fact that you're a believer. See, some of y'all are wondering why you're going through and wondering why this is happening to you. But Paul says, I was shamefully. Matter of fact, he almost wears it as a bad. Like, this is great. I know I'm a believer. Oh, you thought he was the only one. The apostles, John, <coughs> John and them, when they came up, John and Peter, when they, when they shared the gospel and they got flogged. Now, flogged was a, I, I, I should have bought that piece of bamboo from the house. <coughs> when they got flogged, they got wackoutied on the back. Like, when I say wackoutied, I ain't talking about no switch. I'm talking about bamboo, when it hits you, it dribbles, like double dribble, like a cat right on your back. Tearing them cats up. And then they came out of there praising God that they were worthy to suffer for Jesus' namesake. Listen, anybody that preaches a suffering-less gospel is a false preacher. Let me say that again. Anybody that preaches that going through is abnormal and you're not supposed to go through, you need to run for your life from that ministry. Why? Because in Acts chapter 14, I'm still in the Bible, verse, 20, verse 24, it says they, they preached the gospel to that city, made disciples, appointed elders in that place, and they were exhorting them saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. In other words, they tell young believers, guess what? Challenges are going to happen. Don't expect it. It's not going to happen because it's a part of being in the faith. Let me just tell you something. This, 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 this suffering-less Christianity and this, this treating God like a cosmic genie versus the king of kings is not a biblical Christianity. And so, and so, and so here, that means that you're going to go through. But I like the way Paul says this. He said, but we pro- preach with boldness. Now, the word there for boldness means freedom. How in the world can you be going through all of this? But you're talking about you're free. Why? Because bondage in man's eyes is freedom in God's eyes. Freedom in God's eyes is bondage in man's eyes. See, it's paradoxical. See, because he can say, I'm under this. But see, it's showing off the fact that I've been freed in Christ, even though people are treating me like I'm in slavery. And so so, so that's a powerful, powerful environment (coughs) because now we can begin coaching one another through suffering. You got to be able to do that. If you ain't been through nothing, you can't help nobody through nothing. And so Paul says, I was shamefully treated. He said, and we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel in conflict. I like that. In the midst of conflict, he kept on going. Somebody needs encouragement. In the midst of conflict, you got to keep on going. Listen, faithfulness, that's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness and steadfastness is consistency in the midst of adversity. And that's what he's saying a discipleship culture in the church looks like, is this type of attitude that he came in giving his credibility in relation to impacting the people of God. Then he says, <coughs> he goes further, he says, further, he says, he says in verse 3, he says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive. Now, can I park here for five minutes? 
He says, our appeal, of course, is talking about his, 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 his communication of the gospel. But then he gives three things that it didn't reflect. It didn't reflect error. It didn't f- reflect impurity. And it didn't reflect deception. Now, let's talk about error. First off, error means to have a philosophy of delusionment and a desire to pervert God's truth. <laughs> that, that, means, that, means, that means that Paul said, I didn't come to you coming in a bunch of error, but I wanted to rightfully divide the word of God so that you can have a rightfully divided life. Let me say that again. A rightfully, a rightful division of the word of God means a rightful division of the soul. And if there is error in that, there's going to be error in your life. Look at the next one, impurity. I'm going to stay here for, for about five minutes. Or just impurity. This word impurity is interesting. It means any substance that is filthy, dirty, it refuse meaning toilet trash, a state of moral corruption, worthless material, graves decayed, a graves of decaying flesh, of sexual vice or immorality or indecent sexual impurity. In other words, let me see any kids. No, I ain't not. All of them upset. This, he's basically saying this. He's saying, I didn't preach to get nobody's draws. Don't let it get quiet now. He said, I wasn't trying to tax some of the girls in the ministry. Wow. He said, I didn't do it out of the motivation to get in your. Because know what? There were preachers that were doing that, and there are preachers today that do it. Preachers that preach out of a desire. Well, at the end of the day, they're trying to do it. And 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, verse A says, false teachers are people who have eyes full of adultery. <laughs> and so there was this sense in which Paul is having to defend. He said, did I try to get at any of y'all when I was going from house to house ministering? To was that what I was after? It's beautiful. That's why he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, when you work with the women, do with all purity. In Titus chapter 2, he tells, Timothy, he tells Titus to teach the older women to teach the younger women. Don't you teach them and disciple them. I'm discipling some of the women in the ministry. No, he didn't say do that. In other words, there is this sense of purity, that need, and, and, but the grace of God, most of us can be flunking. But by God's grace, it's beautiful that something has to be done out of purity in the ministry. That's why so many people are hurt by the ministry because of a defiling philosophy of people who proclaim to be proclaimers of the gospel, yet not functioning in a way that reflects the glory of God and how they relate to God's people. I know this is not what you expected to get on Sunday. You wanted to go get a, a hallelujah and a praise and an encouragement. But every now and then, the pastor has to warn the church. A philosophy of impurity, but the grace of God, yet it could be I. And so he's firing them up about, like, I didn't come among you. This is my motivation for this, and this should be the motivation for discipleship in the church. But then he goes and he says, he says, I didn't do it out of a desire to deceive. Now, the word deceive is an interesting word. It's a fisherman's term. <coughs> the term is used of putting bait on a hook. And, 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 and what it's used to is using food as a way to attract the fish, but the fish doesn't see the hook. It only sees the food. In other words, he's talking about teachers and preachers and proclaimers who look to utilize the truth of God's word as a way to hook in God's people, but they don't know the very thing that they're eating right inside of it is hooking them out to kill and destroy them. He said, I didn't do this to deceive you. I did this out of another motive. 
That's what, ha- that's what the church of God must be like. This must be an environment where, where there's a fight and there's a level of deep accountability in our discipling relationships and in our leadership where, 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 where this deception will not go on. God forbid there be some craziness coming here and the elders don't come and jam me up. That's the environment we have to have here. What do you say, Pastor, that was a lie. That wasn't true. And I need to submit to their leadership on that. Y'all quiet. Because I'm not a lone guy and nor are they. Matter of fact, and as God does stuff in your life, you can't be a loner either. And we'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. I got a chip on my shoulder this morning. Just pray for me. He says, we have been approved by God. He said, this is the antithesis. It's beautiful. He says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Oh, he says that a, a multitude of times in the scriptures. Well, he, talks, he talks about it a lot during the book of Romans. <coughs> now, y'all know that I don't throw Greek out there too much, but, but, but it's interesting the tenses of these verbs here. They are the, bo- both approved and entrusted. One, one, the first one is what's called a perfect passive. In other words, a definitive event that happened in the past that has continuing results. But it's a passive for Paul saying, I didn't entrust myself with the gospel. God, it's a divine passive, meaning God entrusted him with it. In other words, he was sent, he didn't win. Y'all going to catch that on the way home. <laughs> in, in, in other words, he didn't go into ministry because he saw the, the lucrativeness of what he'd get from it. Listen, listen, whenever I, let me just give you something for free. Whenever I see somebody tell me they called the ministry and they're running in it in an unhealthy way, see, I almost want to deter you from it. Because you got a bad view of it when you first come in. I'm going, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be that. And what happened is, and you don't know. You really don't know, no, no, know that you know that you know what it's really going to be like because you only see the standing up on Sunday morning. But God forbid if you see uh, uh, Friday night at 1130 a.m., amen, somebody, p.m., I mean, p.m. In other words, there is a sense in which Paul is saying, I didn't look for myself to be called to do this. God called me to it, and the reason why I'm doing it is because he sent me and his hand is on me to do it. In other words, woe is me if I don't preach. Woe is me if I don't communicate. Why? Because I have to do it. But then he says entrusted. (coughs) He was entrusted with this by God. That's a term of stewardship. And this is the beautiful part. He says, so we speak not to please man, but God who tests hearts. Uh. See, see well, you got to be careful in your life, especially in a discipleship group, where you want to please people. Where your life is built around people's reactions. Because, see, because see they, they always say the most dangerous time for somebody is after they finish doing ministry. Because you want somebody to tell you how booming you are, how you've blown them away versus how God used you as a conduit. You got to be very, very careful in your life and in the spiritual life of the church that we don't have a man-pleasing culture. Because what will happen is, is when you have a man-pleasing culture, it creates a, a culture of the exaltation of humans and the by-siding of Jesus Christ as the central figure in the church. But, but you got to say in your life, you got to every now and then, you, you got to say, I'm here to please God. I'm doing what I'm doing to please God. I'm not doing it for any man. I'm not doing it for any woman. I'm doing it for the glory of God. Listen, you can't be so insecure that you only feel good when people feel good. Sometimes God is going to appoint you and push you to say some tough stuff, and you got to be willing to stand your ground and walk in it. You got to, you can't be, listen, 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 you can't, you can't think about what you'll lose. 
See, see, that's why Paul said I'm bold. Why? Not because he got swag. He got gospel swagger. That ain't what he's talking about. He ain't got no swag. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, he had a lot of lashes, not swag. And so the reason why is because he said, I'm free. And I'm not going to let any man's blessing of me challenge, oh my God, my freedom to communicate the glory of God and to get in your grill. I'm going to talk about that later. But it's very, very, very important that the church has a spiritual freedom where we can talk honestly without fear of consequences from man. (laughs) When you fear human consequences, you're living for humans. And if you live for humans, you can only get what humans can give you. But by God, if you live for God, for the God you live, and for God you die, if you live for him, you'll only get what God can give you. But if you understand what God can only give you, your mindset will be different. Why? Because uh, fear him who can kill the body. But man, you might, you, you might want to fear him who can kill both the body and the soul in hell. In other words, there is a higher standard of fear that should walk in your life that makes you say, if I got to walk alone, I'm going to walk with God and say what God told me I had to say. If I got to walk alone, if I got to fight through some battles... If, if I got to get hit by lightning, so be it. If, if, if rain comes, if flood comes, I'm standing on a rock. And because I stand on a rock, by Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let me tell you something. Trusting in man, being led by man, and walking with man is sinking sand. But if you stand on the rock, if you walk on the rock, if you live on the rock, if you rest on the rock, if you run on the rock, If you lean on the rock, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. (laughs) You'll be all right. You'll be be just fine. You'll be just fine because you'll get comfort you didn't know you could get. (laughs) Why? Because you got to know that he's the best and safest place in the world. The old church used to say the safest place in the world is in the will of God. I I like that. That's what the old church used to say. Every now and then, you need to put your arms together like the old church and just rock back and forth like this. Why? Because you know the old mothers and the old fathers used to do this for? Because they're, they're mulling on the fact that Christ is the safest place. That's all they were doing. It wasn't no church culture. It was a spiritual, it was a spiritual philosophy that I'm rocking back and forth because I know I'm standing on the rock. And even though I rock, he don't rock because he's the rock. Anyway, I, I got to keep it moving. I got to keep moving. But he said, he te- but God tests hearts. He says, but God tests hearts. See, you ain't got to worry about folk. God tests hearts. Paul says, I opened up my heart to God for him to test it. The idea is to be put under pressure to see what will happen. Let, let, me say, let me say this. Let, let me say this. God will show you where you are by the pressure and your response to it. God tests hearts. I like the Bible when it says in Proverbs 16, it says, many are the plans of a man's heart, but God weighs his motives. And <laughs> in, in, in other words, what God does is he has a scale in eternity. And he has on this side of the scale the weight of his glory. The word glory uh, 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 literally, means, literally means weight. But then what he does is he takes the heart of man and places it on the other side of the scale. 
And based on that, if there's not a balancing, there is a glory issue in the heart of man. In other words, your heart is not going to be heavier than God, but God's glory is going to help see where in the world your heart is in relation to his glory. And if it's out of balance, if it's out of balance, if it's out of balance, then you're out of balance. And he tests us. See where our hearts are in relation to him. Then he says, we, we never came with flattery of words, <coughs> nor a, pre- a pretext for greed. Flattery of words mean charming people. In other words, people who talk about themselves. I like the fact that Paul doesn't preach himself, but Christ and him crucified. See, when you preach it, see, when you got people that communicate themselves all the time, I'm this, I'm that. Y'all don't know how many degrees I got. Y'all don't know what I've been through. Y'all don't know I, 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 I. Listen, we don't preach us. He said, I'm not flattering you with words. And also the sense of flattery here means to make people feel good about you and make them feel good of themselves, devoid of understanding where they are spiritually. So that means there's not a care for their souls. There's only a care for the response that they give based on you flattering them with foggy theology. I got to keep going. But then he says, I didn't do it out of a pretext of greed. Uh Uh-oh. Greed here means falsely alleged motive, a pretext. It means uh, it has the idea of the state of desiring to have more than ones do. It means an insatiable desire for material. In other, in, other words, in other words, Paul says, like in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 2, the B part of verse 14 says that, that false teachers have hearts that are trained in greed. In, in, other, in other words, he, he, said, he said, I didn't minister out of greed. As a matter of fact, you'll see earlier where he didn't take from the church. It's interesting enough that what's beautiful about this and what's beautiful about this philosophy is he's talking about the fact that ministry and discipleship and leadership in the church should not be motivated by what you can get resource-wise out of the people of God. Now, now I know we got a culture in this culture that says, uh, um, that, that, that God owes you financial prosperity. But God doesn't owe you nothing. God actually owed us a lake of fire, eternal separation from him. But what's beautiful about the living God is when you're rich in him, you don't have to be greedy. And, 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 and what happens is, is many ch- and if you see a church that's centrally built, everything, it's funny, the sermon is on marriage. How did the sermon go from marriage to money? The sermon was on love. How did it go from love to money? In other words, when people climax their sermons on getting from you versus Christ and him crucified and the resurrection of Christ, you are in a false doctrine church. In other words, receiving money is the center of the church, not walking in Jesus' truth is the center of the church. I'm going to tell it like it is, and I don't care who gets mad about it. Why? Because it's in the book, and we can't do this out of a pretext of greed. Only spending time with people who got money because we think we can get more from them because of what we can receive from them. That means we can't be respecters of people because greed will take you on a place where you never thought you'd been. That's why it says the love of money is the root of, I like the, I like the New American Standard, it says all sorts of evil. I, I, I like that. In other words, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's one type of tree, but the types of things that grow on it is all types of fruit. And, and, and that's the only tree in the Bible that have multiplicity of different types of fruit, but really it's a messy amount of fruit. But he said, but godliness with contentment is of great gain. Because, because what happens is when we're no longer satisfied with the blessings of God, it leads to greed. 
See, that's why thankfulness helps you out of greediness. Let me say that again. Thankfulness helps you out of greediness. And so that type of culture, Paul's saying, needs to be in the church where people are thankful for what they have. And he's talking about the fact that he didn't come with that pretext when he came to them. But then he says, nor that we seek glory from people, he says, though we could have made demands of, the, of an apostle. It's funny, Paul is interestingly, it's interesting. When he began, he had rights as an apostle based on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. <coughs> he said, he said he, I could have took on a wife. He said, I could, he laid out all of these things. But sometimes because of where people were, he laid aside the privilege temporarily of his right to make sure that Christ was primarily proclaimed greater than his right to receive what he could from the people. That's powerful. That's powerful when there is self-denial that exalts the one who is the self-existing one. I like that reality. But, but Paul, look, look at what Paul likes for his ministry uh, to reflect. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if I could just teach for a second. He, over in 2, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm sorry, starting at verse 3, I'm going to start reading it. He's, he, 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 says, he says beautifully here, he says, behold now, uh, he said, behold now is the favorable time, behold, now is the day of salvation. He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way, that's beautiful, said that no fault may be found with our ministry. I like that. In other words, he was willing to deny himself so that there were no obstacles for people seeing Jesus and the gospel. Sometimes the thing that's in the way is not the gospel, but sometimes it's us. And Paul said, I worked to make sure that there was no obstacle in the way of people being able to see Jesus clearly. He says, but as servants of God, we commit ourselves in every way by great endurance in affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, but true, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for our right hand and for our left, through honor and through dishonor, when people like me and they don't, through slander and praise. He, say, he says, we are treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. He said, that's where I am. He said, it's more important. He said, if I'm not viewed rightly, I'm okay with that long as Jesus is viewed rightly. It's powerful. And he said, in the midst of discouragements. See, sometimes you got to learn how to continue to press with God in the midst of discouragement. Let me tell you something. Sometimes when I get up to preach in front of you, I'm discouraged. But let, guess what I got to do? I got to fight through it. Why? Because God is greater than my discouragement. And sometimes in the midst of you moving forward, in the midst of discouragement, I don't know what it is about that old Holy Ghost, but he'll meet you in the midst of that discouragement. And, and I, like the way, I, like the, I like the way Psalm 2, he calls it, Psalm 4 says he's a lifter of my head. Yeah, I like that. I like, but, but why? Because he's a shield for those who trust in him. And so, so, so what, what, what does authentic discipleship look like? It means pressing. Why do I talk about difficulty so much? Because you're going to get it. And why do I talk about encouragement so much? Because you're going to get it. 
Why do I talk about godly enjoyment so much? Because you're going to get it. But the issue is, is the beauty of making disciples and wanting to see Christ, people at uh, the image of Christ formed in people should drive every single thing in your life. And it should be a nonstop activity. It's got to be a nonstop activity. And that's why Paul does that. I got to move. I got to move. Finally, last point, he had meticulous care. Meticulous care. He says, but we were gentle. Now, the word there, gentle, um, could be translated, another word, infants. And, and it flows with the sense of the text because he talks first about being infants. And then he's going to talk about being like a mother, nursing mother. Then number three, he's going to talk about uh, being like a father. These are beautiful images of meticulous care. He says, but we were gentle among you as infants. In other words, there was an innocence to his activity. But then he says, like a, <coughs> he said, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. <coughs> now, the word here for nursing mother, we usually use as a surrogate, not a surrogate mother, but, but, but a hired nurse uh, uh, who nurses children for people. But it's interesting. Here, Paul uses it as a personal term as not something that he hired out, but something he did on his own. Now, one of the things when you first have, when a, when a, when a woman has children and she's in the hospital and she's able to breastfeed, and it's still in this context, too. Um, the, the, one of the things that's of great challenge after your baby, you know your baby's healthy is that the baby will latch on. Right. And if the baby isn't latching on to the mother's breast to suckle, the, the, the first order of business is to make sure that the mother does everything she can for that baby to be able to suckle. Sometimes they'll put something a little on their tongue they, so, so they can learn how to latch on. Or she'll put something on her breast so that the child can latch on. Paul says, that's the type of care that I took for you. I wanted to make sure that you latched on to the truth of the, the gospel. I wanted to make sure that you grabbed hold, just like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, desire the pure milk of the word. In other words, I wanted to make sure that you were nourished but then also, while a mother is nursing, there's a bond that's developed. Because, it, because it's, something, it's something that I don't understand. I got to get my wife or somebody else to preach this part. But, but, but about I've just heard about the, the bonding that happens between a mother as she feeds her children. One time they had my wife do something because she was having flow issues with the milk. And so what they would have you do is they would put your skin to skin with the baby. And when that would happen skin to skin, the bond would get deeper, but it would, it would create in her body the ability to push milk out of her body. And as the milk pushed out of her body, they were bonding. Listen, discipleship is a deep bond. <laughs> That's why he says in the next verse, not only did we give you the word of God, but we gave you our very lives. See, that's what church is about. It's about getting life and giving life. See, I told the first gathering, I told the first gathering, they're, they're like a communal college. I, 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 said, I, said, I, said, I said, you know, I told the first, and some of y'all in here the same way. You know, when, we, when, I, lived, when, I, when, I, was on, when I went to college, I, I was on campus all four years. And my experience being on campus was different than the commuter student. Because the commuter student just wanted the degree. But the, but the campus student was on campus. They went to the CAF. They developed community. Um, they, 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 they were up late at night studying. They had study classes. I mean, there was just a different philosophy. They, as a matter of fact, there were people that you, I met later that said they went to school the same years I did, but I'd never seen them a day in my life. 
Why? Because they function as commuters versus community. That's what I want to tell you today. You can't just receive what you want and say, I'm coming here for what I can get. Listen, the Bible says you give, Paul says we gave the gospel in our lives. You can't get a life given to you if you don't put yourself in a position to receive that type of relationship. So I want to, I want to rebuke commuterism in the church. It's commuting to the kingdom. <laughs> commuting. But taking part in the life of this thing. It's not about building anybody's platform. It's about your soul being built and, and other souls being built. I'm closing soon. And then he says, but affectionately desirous of you. I like that. Talks about the depth of his desire to see the people of God affectionately loved and it's as an experiencing a strong feeling of intensity by inner attachment for another person. It's that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because we had be- you had become very dear to us. Second Peter chapter 1 talks about brotherly affection being one of the signs of spiritual growth. That's very, very important in our lives. But then he goes and he says, like a father with his children over in this next section. He's like a father with his children is the way that I interacted with you in verse 11. Then, in other words, the father gave nurture and instruction to the family. Nurture and instruction to the family. I'm working on a book right now that's coming out next year, and one of the parts in it is on fatherlessness. And I'm just blown away by the principles of the impact of fatherlessness in the household, but then the theological role of a father in the house. Paul pulls on the richness of that philosophy to begin to communicate what fatherliness looks like in relation to impacting and developing and nourishing the church. And he gives three areas, and I like this. But this fatherliness is the same attitude that should go throughout the congregation of God's people in how disciples are being made. Number one, he says, we exhorted each of you. I like that. That means to call somebody in and appeal to them and urge them or something. Every now and then somebody needs to be urged of something. Uh, or warned about something. That, 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 mean, well, that means you get exhorted. And that means you need to be like we were talking about last week. You got to be receptive to information where you can be exhorted about stuff. And that means you need to be in proximity of where exhortation takes place. But then number two, he says encourage. This word is the same word used of the Holy Spirit called parakaletas, which means one who comes alongside of. This is where you console a person and cheer them up in the midst of difficulty. Come close, come close to someone, sigh, and speak in a friendly manner to them. The word means comforter at its f- essence. And, and many, many, of us, many of us, you know, got illicit forms of comfort that we depend on, and that's why we're not see, receiving the comfort that God has for us. Why? Because we're eating too much. Oh, y'all thought I was going to say drugs first, didn't you? And sex, Right? Now, eat, you eat too much. Every time something goes bad, you got you some snackage. You got to minister to people where they are. Some of y'all always got a bonbon somewhere or some hocken or some pound cake to nourish you when the Holy Spirit is supposed to be your comforter. I ain't laughing. Listen, listen, listen. The body was meant to be a comforting mechanism by the Spirit. 
So he said, I exhorted you, but he said, I also comforted you. In other words, you need people in your life that can cheer you up in difficulty, not you seeking refuge in what can give you temporary comfort for that time. And listen, whatever acts as a comforter beside the Spirit of God and godly people of God is always going to tear you down from God. So, so, so you, you, you got to be, that's why local church membership and relationship is important. That means you can't be a fly-by-night uh, itinerant Christian. Well, you itinerantly show up here. How y'all doing? I itinerantly show up here. How y'all doing? I itinerantly. And so nobody don't really know where you at. Nobody ain't encouraging me. That's because nobody don't know you. But, but, but you, you got to be in a position to be encouraged. <coughs> but, but, but last but not least, he says, I charge you. Now, this charge you means to affirm or testify, to bear witness, making an emphatic affirmation, seriously declare, to assert hard stuff to people. Ah, you like the encouraging part. But then he said, I, he said, I declare to you or charge you. When that, that term charge is a formal term of challenge. In, in te- when I lived in Texas, the kids used to say, yo, 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 Mr. Eric, they charging you up. I was like, what does that mean? This mean that means he's talking crazy about you or talking at you or trying to get at you. <coughs> That's the sense in the passage. You need people that not only exhort you and encourage you, but charge you up. That means some people get in your grill and tell you about your nasty, funky, trifling self. It's real quiet in here right now, right? But we need encouragement. You know why? You need somebody to tell you every now and then when you go to that party you like to go to every once in a while, that party that nobody's in. It's, the, it's one of those type of parties where you're always trying to get people to come to it, but people either come to it because they're in the same place or they don't want to come to it, and it's called a pity party. What you need to have in your life is some people to say, I ain't coming in there. I ain't coming in the party. I ain't coming in the party. I ain't coming in there and join you in your self-loathing. In other words, there are times when people need encouragement when they're hurting, and at times somebody needs a, a, a swift kick in the butt. Every now and then you need to go swift kilky in somebody. Amen. Why? Because some people want you to join them in their self-idolatry. And so you say, this is how you get them out of there. You say, the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Um, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Bring your butt up out of there. Come on, I ain't joining you in there. Ain't no music on. Ain't no food. I ain't, man, listen, I ain't hitting the pinata with you, the pinata of, of, of slander, the, pin, the pinata of gossip, the pinata of idolatry. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Come out of that party, and let's hang out out here. Now, we can have a Holy Ghost party, but I'm not going to join your pity party. So you, you, you need some people in your life that tell you, oh, you're raggedy. It ain't their fault. It's your fault. You're always making it somebody else's fault. It was you. You're trifling. You were the one. And you say, I know, I know. Yeah, repent. You need some. That's good gospel relationships. Y'all don't never say nothing nice to me. I need some encouragement in the Lord. No, you need a swift kick. Some slappage. I used to like, I used to, I used to, some spiritual stuff. I used to love on the cartoons when Buzz Bunny would take off his gun and go, well, cat on a cat. And he'd go, wow. You know what I'm saying? That's what, you, that's what we all as Christians need in our life. People to tell us. And listen, as you get used to it being a part of the culture of your life, you'll love it. Because you'll see that's godly discipleship. Listen, you ain't always right. Let me say that again. You ain't always right. And every now and then, you need the people to show you that you're not right. And even if you think you're right, 
and you, somebody told you something, you need to pray and see if what they're telling you is true. Don't do you, I don't like the way you said it, but was it true though? Well, well, they didn't say it in a spirit of love. See, see, I, 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 that's funny to me. I'm closing. Because people, when they're hurt by the wounds of a friend, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Every now and then, when somebody says something to you in love, it's going to hurt, but you're going to take it as anger because of the pain you felt when they told you what you didn't want to hear. And sometimes it's not that it wasn't said in love. You use the terminology of not being said in love as a way to not receive what God has for you. But I want to be so broken before the Lord and so open to the living God as he tests my heart and open me up to him that whatever somebody says to me that's a challenge, I want to consider it. I want, even if I got to grieve, even if I got to be frustrated, even if I got to have a sleepless night, even if I got to cry, I want to be right. I want to be holy. I want to be blameless. I want to walk in righteousness. I want to be challenged. And so God all of your mechanisms of discipleship, give them to me. I want all of it. Now, that's something you can say God will open up the windows of heaven and bless you with. He'll open up the windows of heaven and make you look like Jesus. Matter of fact, he not only opened up heaven, he sent Jesus from heaven and lived the life you can never live and died the death you could never die and was raised up from the grave you could never be raised up from. Why? Because Jesus, guess what? He struggled just like us but without sin. I like the way Hebrews said it. He did it with groanings and shouts of tears. But he entrusted himself to the one who perfected him. Why don't you do the same? Trust yourself to Jesus. Being a Christian is hard, but it's harder not being one. I like hard life with help. And listen, if you got to, let me do, I'm going to close, but listen, if your life is boring, you're not living the Christian life. I'm just going to tell you right now, you ain't living the Christian life. This ain't boring. It's an epic. It's like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings on steroids. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just telling you, live this life and in, in, in the midst of all the hardship, enjoy your journey. Enjoy this journey. Don't let the tumultuous issues of your life, get in the way of you enjoying your Savior and enjoying God's people. This is, even though Christianity is a hard life, it's a beautiful life. And listen, I don't want to know what the videotape would have been like if I didn't know him. I'm glad Jesus deleted them files on the cross. (laughs) Oh, my God. But you're brand new. I'm closing. I'm just saying, love him and enjoy your life. I'm done. Father.